Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. After last episode, I was certain. I had essentially made a deal in my head. I said, the unbridled optimism from last show is okay because you know the fans deserve to have this and we deserve to revel in Detroit winning you know those games and how good they looked and you know the individual stats and being close to the top of the standings but knowing they had the games against Ottawa and Calgary and it was a back-to-back and a big divisional opponent a big part of me expected to come into this episode saying okay I know things went south from there but let's not write off the season but oh my god have the Detroit Red Wings just found a way to step even harder on the accelerator episode after episode after episode we actually we were joking about it before we hit record here Brad we don't really know how to do this. Like we, <laughs> we've been doing this show for near on nine years now, and we don't know how to handle this much genuine palpable good. Like this isn't just like a run good. This is the Red Wings are good. We usually go goal by goal when recapping games. Don't know if that's an option <laughs> time wise anymore. <laughs> I'm like 30 goals. I clip them and I post them on Twitter and I, I actually can't keep up anymore. I'm going to have to send Derek Lalone a note and be like, hey, this is really great, but I'm either going to need a better computer or you're going to need to tell the guys to space them out a, a little bit more. He Do just me sent, a favor. He just sends you something that NASA designed and you're like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Folks, the Detroit Red Wings are at least playing like it, an absolute wagon right now. By all rights, this is the first time that the Winged Wheel podcast has ever experienced something like this, but I'll tell you, We are excited, and this is a lot of fun. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, which, looking at my show notes in front of me, are a lot of things. The world of the NHL and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan isn't here. He is currently sprinting straight to downtown Detroit with no shirt on, so he'll be back next episode, provided that he survives the cold. (laughs) Will he make it back by next episode? It's an honorable death. <laughs> it's it's going to be at Evan's pace. We got to remember this. It, oh, <laughs> that's exactly right. On this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we are going to be covering Detroit's two games. First, the huge divisional win over the Ottawa Senators and the win over the Calgary Flames, which just concluded. Those are two simple notes, but they include a litany of individual storylines that are worth talking about. We'll talk about where Detroit is in the Eastern Conference standings, who sits atop individual statistics, and lots, lots more. We have news from Grand Rapids and other news from the NHL before we jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night, the LCA. It's a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where you buy a ticket, and not only do you get to go to the Red Wings game that day, which is on Saturday, November 4th, it's coming up fast against the Boston Bruins, but you also get access to a pregame live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast at Little Caesars Arena featuring us, the hosts, plus Ken Daniels, the lead announcer for the Detroit Red Wings, and Chris Osgood, famed Red Wings goaltender and now Bally Sports Detroit uh, presence. So, you know, come for Ken and Chris and, you know, bear with us as well. Not only do you get access to the game and the live show, you also get an exclusive custom Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast co-branded beanie. The ticket to the game is discounted and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we do this. In case you were wondering, the Winged Wheel podcast, we don't make a penny from this. It's, you know, in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. 
And you sit in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. There's going to be merch, prizes, food and drink for you to buy, and lots, lots more. There are very, very, very few tickets remaining. So if you want them, get them fast, and the event is fast approaching. We're really looking forward to it. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or the link in the description to get your tickets. Secondly, if you want to support the Winged Wheel Podcast and our ability to continue to produce the show, make it bigger and better, host Winged Wheel Podcast nights at the LCA, and uh, everything else to do with just, you know, kind of expanding the Winged Wheel Podcast content universe and, and fundraising for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast to become a member of the so-called Dub Dub Club. You get access to things like our official Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. You get automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast, vast majority of them are going to our Patreon supporters. And not only that, you also get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. So all of that and lots more, patreon.com slash podcast. Before we get into it, though, I do want to call out um, Ken Cal. Red Wings radio announcer, uh, the Red Wings announced before the game today that uh, he had to undergo a procedure after the Ottawa Senators game. He is recovering now uh, and doing well, and we actually got a note from Ken Cal that he tweeted out, so happy that he's doing well, uh, but he did go on, undergo a procedure to address a medical issue. Um, he's resting comfortably, they said, and obviously the entire fan base is, is behind Ken, wishing him a speedy co- a recovery, so Bob Kayser stepped in and joined Paul Woods and Daniela Bruce in the radio booth. Uh, but to Ken, the entire Red Wings community, the Winged Wheel Podcast listenership, and all of Hockey Town uh, is wishing you a, a peaceful, restful recovery. And we hope to hear you back soon uh, doing the radio call. So uh, all the best to Ken Cal. Let's start with the Ottawa game, Brad. So we all know the context for the Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators. And to me, this was a big game for for a lot of reasons. I, I got some pushback on the notion that it was that big of a game because it was the fifth game of the year and, you know, they're going to meet multiple times and we're making a meal out of this. And I know some, I, I think Derek Lalonde even said, you know, it's more of a media narrative than anything that it's that big of a game. But to me, I, I genuinely believed it because one, Alex DeBrinkett's return to Ottawa after, let's call a spade a spade here. He forced his way out of Ottawa, you know, didn't want to resign there, asked for the trade. That is what it is. And Ottawa fans, I think, are justifiably annoyed by that. That annoyance is probably amplified by the fact that he's been on an absolute tear to start it with Detroit. Secondly, Detroit and Ottawa are at the same part of their rebuilds. You know, they're both fighting for a potential wildcard spot, not only this season, but in future seasons as they look to be part of the next generation of Atlantic Division teams who are going to be perennial playoff, you know, contenders and cup contenders. And third, Detroit's own playoff hopes last year, which seemingly came out of nowhere, Ottawa was the one to thump them out in a back-to-back absolute stomping at the hands of Brady Kachuk and the Senators in Ottawa. So all of that set the scene for Detroit, in my mind, for this to be a massive showdown. Well, it's funny because even on the 32 Thoughts podcast uh, that they released on, I think it was Friday, they called this the game of the year before the game happened just because of all the implications you just laid out. And it's worth pointing out, it's very, very rare for teams of... uh, if we go back to last season, Ottawa and Detroit's caliber to have any game that means, well, let's be honest, anything, let alone the entire hockey world watching and, you know, big hockey media types going, no, this game has a lot riding on it. I mean, at least as much as you can this early in the season. Yeah. 
And the narrative around this game, for anybody who listens to or reads any national writers, any national hockey podcast, and a few of them, and, and one in particular, I remember I was listening to the day before the game, where it was the first time all season anybody even really brought up the Red Wings in any sort of positive context. They're like, hey, maybe the Red Wings are better than we gave them credit for. And, you know, gave them a couple minutes of going, yeah, the Red Wings have been good this year. Uh, we'll see how they do against Ottawa. And then they got into Ottawa and did like a 15-minute deep dive. Until, uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I was exaggerating. I, like, I, I, I am a little bit, but not that much about why Ottawa's, you know, such a great team on the up and up and here's all the positives, yada, 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 which is fine. I don't fault anybody for doing that because as someone who's covered the Red Wings for eight years, I understand how irrelevant we have been. And this run here is the first true, are they good? Narratives they've had the whole time. And, but the, but Ottawa was still getting the bulk of the attention, credit, whatever you want to call it. So not only was it critical for Detroit to go out and win this game because they get the two points. You know, they're going to be battling for that playoff spot with Ottawa. Obviously in the room, they needed to make a point to themselves. They made it needed to make a point to the senators that, Hey, we're not a fluke. This is for real. But now they have credibility. You know, they beat Tampa, they beat Pittsburgh uh, to that point in the season. They had some good wins, convincing wins, but Nobody was really paying attention yet. Everybody circled the Ottawa-Detroit game. Detroit goes in, smacks them. I'm curious to see what the narrative come Monday morning is going to be now. When the lineup came out and we got the news that Clem Costner wouldn't be in, he tweaked something in practice. Uh, Derek Lalonde mentioned that a forward who wasn't Robbie Fabry left practice and lo and behold, it was Clem Costner. I thought, ugh. That's rough because after Ottawa came in and played Detroit in those two games last season, like they were playoff games and included a physical dominating presence and, you know, Brady Kachuk shouting down the Red Wings bench, et cetera, et cetera. I thought they're going to need all of the physical presence that they can have. And we know what Clem Costin can bring. We talked about it last episode, but Detroit in every single way stepped up to that game. It wasn't perfect right off the bat, but. You know, once they turned it on, it seemed like they turned it on in every kind of way that they needed to. The game opened up with a one-nothing lead from Ottawa at the hands of Jake Sanderson, but after that, it was Shane Gostaspare who Larkin found in front on the power play, you know, prone at the assist there, and then in the second period, Joe Valeno with a phenomenal pass from Christian Fisher from behind the net, turning around, finding Joe Valeno coming in, the goalie looking the other way. That is the beautiful games type stuff. Like I love goals like that, like tricky reverse direction kind of goals. Red Wings fans who have been fans for a little while now will think of the Henrik Zetterberg, no look between the legs back pass to Pavel Datsuk who buried it. Not quite the same level, but it made you think of it. And that was a fantastic play from Fisher who showed off a little bit of his offensive ability, which, you know, Arizona Coyotes fans are keen to talk about. And Joe Valeno gets his first of the season David Perron's in front, bangs home another one on the power play, this one from Dylan Larkin again, who was on one that game. Like He was absolutely on one. And then Dylan Larkin gets one of his own from Gossespierre, also on the power play. And then Joe Valeno made it 5-1 off of a great steal from Daniel Sprong and a fantastic pass, and Valeno made no mistake bearing it. The game ended at 5-2, and you know there's physical stuff to talk about in there, but the offensive performance in this game and the power play performance... It didn't hold. Obviously, today wasn't the same 
uh, level of power play click, but the, the Red Wings power play at the end of this game over the course of the first five games of the season was 50%. They scored on half of their power plays. How many of those were negated by even getting their own penalties or like being shortened power plays? They scored, it was a coin flip through the first five games. That was an outrageous man advantage performance over the course of the game. It's funny to think that we're not that far removed from uh, the fundraiser for the Jamie Daniels Foundation where every power play the Red Wings didn't score, the total went up, yeah. and they made it into the 40s. It was, yeah, it was like 41 or something like It was that. 40-something power plays without a single goal. Absolutely and, absurd. And it was automatic, too. Like, these yeah. were clinical goals. That's the big thing that... I've really noticed has been the difference this year and on the Larkin goal in particular is where it really stood out because they're doing things fast and you can't do that unless you have better players. Like it's not uncommon for power plays to use the bumper. And in this case, that's Larkin for, you know, as soon as he gets some space, get the puck to him, see if he can get a shot off. When that puck came to Goss's bear on the half wall, he didn't stop it. It was a one-touch pass right to Larkin. Mm-hmm. Just puck to Gossespair to Larkin. By the time Ottawa can even react to Gossespair getting the puck, Larkin already has it, and it's in the back of the net. That is not something we have seen from the Red Wings power play in years. Yeah. Like, we're going back to Datsuk-Zetterberg era stuff. And yeah. that's like that's part of that is Dylan Larkin finding another level to start the season. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk 100%. about that a lot. And part of that is Debrinkit. Yeah, but the Gossespair goal, that's not with Debrinkit. That, that's Larkin finding Goss's bear in front. That's Larkin finding Perron in front. And he's always been good at this stuff, but yeah, it's a whole different level this season. That power, The power play, I think, now sits, yeah, it sits second in the league just behind New Jersey. Detroit's scoring at 39.1%. New Jersey's still at 42.9%. So today's game against Calgary brought it down a bit, but oh no, not 39%. Like, that is, that was an outrageous offensive performance by Detroit against Ottawa specifically all season so far, but against Ottawa specifically besides being dominated physically last year, part of it was you need to put goals on the board. A part of our conversation last episode, Brad was, you know, what's Detroit going to do this season or what we were projecting was, what are they going to do this season in terms of scoring goals to start the season? They've made that whole conversation look absolutely foolish. And I'm happy to call it foolish. So long as the scoring streak goes Detroit, through six games, has 30 goals, which is well clear of the next best in the NHL. They're scoring at five goals per game. like Just absolutely nuts. So they dominated Ottawa that way. Ottawa, I think, still outshot them. Like Detroit's scoring efficiency was really high that game, so I'm sure Ottawa would have loved fewer penalties. I'm sure Ottawa would have loved some better goaltending, but Detroit put the goals on the board, and they scored when it mattered. Something I really did like, though, Michael Rasmussen. Stepped up multiple times. He got into it, but you know, and the, the entire team was getting into it. I think Debrinket and Kachuk were jawing at each other quite a bit at one point. But you know, there was a, a point late in the game where Debrinket or Kachuk was going after, I should say, Mo Sider, and Rasmussen immediately stepped in and went, "No, no, no, not him, me." And they fought right away. And it was more of like both of them threw one or two punches than just two Goliaths throwing each other to the ice. But I loved that from Michael Rasmussen. I think that. It demonstrates how important his physical presence, like that side of his game, is to the team. Yeah. And uh, for five minutes, not a bad trade-off on the ice as well, getting Brady Kachuk off the ice for no some key minutes. Yeah, definitely. Like, not that Rasmussen isn't valuable, but he's not Brady Kachuk. Brady, getting Brady Kachuk off the like that that stops him from being able to turn around the game at that point. So 
that was huge for for Detroit. It was a divisional win. It at the time put them at the top of the Eastern Conference. It was, you know, in spite of having Clem Costin out, who would have been the physical presence that you might have expected to to get his nose dirty that game. And it was a complete turnaround from the narrative that we saw at the end of last season. And you know, this mattered for Ottawa and their fans too. Like they were booing to break it like crazy, as it's is their right, and I think they were justified in doing. But that was a statement game from Detroit, and. If they went in and lost that game, I wouldn't have said anything like, oh, it's all over or, you know, this whole thing was a mirage and they're not going to sink back to the bottom. But it would have been disappointing because all the wins leading up to that game would have been really nice. But that's the one that you would have had circled on your calendar to start the year. And Detroit did not falter one second. The room knows what the narratives are. And mm-hmm. in a lot of instances, those narratives are bigger in the room. The The players who were there last year, they don't forget those games. No. They know. They remember. Yeah. That one was extra sweet for them. And you know Derek Lalonde is thinking about this too. Like Newsy's thinking and talking to the guys saying, are you really going to let Brady Kachuk punk you again? Or are you going to punch him in the mouth and cross-check him in the hip and piss them piss them off and, and win in their barn? So Detroit walked away from that one with the win, and I thought, okay, they have a back-to-back with travel against Calgary now. I know Calgary has had a little bit of a road stretch too here, but you know, four straight wins. There's no scheduled losses, but sometimes there are kind of scheduled losses. And, you know, you think of regression to the mean and when's that going to come for Detroit? So I thought, yeah, I'm not sure how they'll do against the Flames. Well, they scored one more goal than they did against Ottawa and they ended up winning (laughs) (laughs) 6-2. Evan, I think, put in the Discord, the Wing Wheel Podcast Discord. He's like, I don't know what happened to this team and who these people are who have replaced them. But like they just are scoring and scoring and scoring again. The conversations that we're having preseason, as of right now, look foolish because it, they are firing on all cylinders. I I don't want to say I don't understand it. We do. We're watching it. We're, we're talking about it right now. But even the biggest Red Wings optimist would not have predicted the start for Detroit. I thought we all had to bring it penciled in for... I mean, wasn't it the second game of the season? I tweeted, uh, he's on pace for 123 goals. I say he does it. Why Why? why would I come off that opinion? Why would any of this surprise me? Nothing. We, has, saw, we saw it right away. <laughs> there's been nothing to say that you're wrong so far. Speaking of Debrinket, he opened scoring with uh, Justin Hall getting the assist. That was his first Red Wings point. And Lucas Raymond getting the secondary assist. Fun fact and a little bit of a spoiler, those two both with three-point nights for the Red Wings. Nice to see Lucas Raymond's efforts rewarded. I think... Yes, Debrinket and Larkin have been getting the scoring, but I think Raymond has been factoring in quite a bit on that line. I don't want to say it's all just, you know, PDO or whatever, and he's just been unlucky, but he has been playing well enough to have had more points, especially in the Ottawa game. I think he and Rasmussen were due for way more on the board than what showed up for them. So for him to have a three-point night was key. And for Justin Hall, too. Like, we were talking pre-show. Save for Jeff Petrie, who's had a, a rough start to the the season for the Red Wings and was scratched actually for this game. The entire Red Wings decor, nobody's been terrible other than that. No, they've by and large been acceptable to good. Yeah. After that, Joe Valeno continued three goals in two games. So he got two against uh, Ottawa and he scored his third by taking a deflection off of a bench shot. And that was Hall's second assist. And then Dylan Larkin made it three where it was an outrageous shot from the left side. Larkin loves scoring like that. 
Oh, high, short side, blocker side. That's that's his sweet spot. Yeah, right over Vladar's shoulder. I believe it hit Vladar's shoulder even. Yeah, I glanced it. As a shooter, Brad, like how hard is that shot streaking down this the left side at a tight angle? I would say I wish I was a lefty because it makes <laughs> it's way easier to go high blocker than it is high glove. Uh, the window he had there at the speed he did, and considering it was basically a catch and release, yeah, it's a hard shot. Yeah, and it was he did a great job stealing the puck, feeding to Brinkett, and to Brinkett fed it back, and that connection was awesome, like or has been awesome, I should say, to start the season. And then <laughs> Debrinket gets his second goal this time. Larkin back to Debrinket, Raymond factoring in Raymond with a great pass, Larkin with a great pass, Debrinket making no mistake. And at that point, he took the NHL scoring lead with his seventh goal of the game, or uh, not of the game of the season, but it felt like his seventh goal of the game. Calgary got one back. Jake Wallman got his first of the season from the point. Uh, Sprong passed it back. Perron won the faceoff. And then to close the game, Alex Debrinket gets his hat-trick goal from Lucas Raymond and Justin Hall. And that was just... At that point, it was... Everyone was saying, oh my God, what is happening? Like this... How many times have we seen this already? Debrinket's second hat-trick at the LCA. The first one was as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks, so a lot better for Red Wings fans this time. But Detroit wins 6-2, and the storyline is the same as it has been a lot of the year. Detroit's best players showing up. Debrinket keeps scoring. Larkin is still phenomenal. Holy hell. And again, the Red Wings at the end of this game sit atop the East, the entire Eastern Conference, number one in the standings. Boston has games in hand, but you you can play the games you play. Alex Debrinkit leads the league in points and leads the league in goals at the time of recording right now. Dylan Larkin's tied for the lead in assists, and Justin Hall leads in plus minus. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this reality? We you scroll through the NHL stats page right now, and like four of the first five categories you see are led by Red Wings. And this was off the Calgary game was a not a good game in terms of power plays either like this was five on five scoring they were over five on the power play today that's what they brought them down to second in the nhl <laughs> it's all the, the signs of every single cylinder that you want to see firing offensively for the red wings is firing right now again they have the firepower to do this we knew that coming into the season but to do it with this much pace and consistency to start the season is not something that anybody would have reasonably predicted now, I want to take a little detour here before we jump into the individual storylines on the Red Wings. After the last episode, and as you know, we're covering the game or other people in the Red Wings sphere are covering the games, uh, something that I've seen come up quite often is you know, a, a response or a reply that says, it's early, don't get too excited, you're wrong to, to, to you know, be excited by this or to say that this is that fantastic, it's five games in, six games in, what have you. Like everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't think everyone's opinion is good. I sit across from someone whose opinions I almost universally disagree with. But in all seriousness, like, everybody likes to be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, every once in a while. I'm a Lions fan and today's a bad day. So I'm feeling awfully wrong about that. Why? There's no football games today. That's right. Hey, we can agree on that. Yeah, Bills yeah. and Lions. You have that camaraderie. Didn't, didn't play today. But, you know, folks who are saying that, I'm going to get annoyed here for a second. I'm going to allow myself to get annoyed here for a second, which I don't do often, or I try not to do often. It is the laziest take in the world to say, oh, it's early, or don't extrapolate over the course of the season. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. <laughs> that. We all know that. 
It is not some Oppenheimer deep level mathematical calculation <laughs> to say five games is fewer than 82. Oh, gee, thanks, bud. Who knew that? I thought the Red Wings had already won the cup. We were drawing the parade route. Of course, everyone knows. How many times have the Red Wings started off poorly to a season? They can play the games that they've played. They've won them. They've won them in spectacular fashion. The individual storylines are all good. Their new best player is good. Their current or their their old best forward is like their captain is still playing fantastic. Their power play is humming. The fans at the LCA are absolutely electric. Like, what do you want? People to be upset and sad the entire way through until you see them lift the Stanley Cup? Oh my God. We have covered terrible Red Wings hockey for so many years. You are not wrong to enjoy this. You can enjoy this and accept the fact that they there will be regression at some point in terms of wins, in terms of Debrinka goals, in terms of power play performance. Of course, it's all implied. Everyone knows. I promise you, people know that. I promise you, we know that. I promise you, people writing about the Red Wings know that. It's not a novel concept, but this is actually good. Hashtag actually good Red Wings hockey. It's not a mirage, and I don't care if they lose 10 straight after this. They're not going to. I don't care if they lose a bunch after this. It doesn't change the fact that this is good and fans should enjoy it. And of anyone who deserves to enjoy it, the fan base, my God, for what they've gone through over the past near decade, deserve to enjoy this. So if you want to be a Debbie Downer about it, by all means. But you are not some, you know, wizard by saying, oh, well, you know, it's a small sample size and it could come down. Oh, thanks, Tips. You know you sounded like? You? Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm sitting in your usual chair. That's, that's my shtick to get mad about the Twitter reply guys. The people online, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Even in this absolute happiest of times we've had in years and years and years. Like, imagine the personality type you have to be to have the Red Wings on the heater to end all heaters. And your only thought is we can't be happy about this. Yeah, like... If that's how you're like, it's actually a sad way to watch sports. It's for entertainment. If this is your favorite team, enjoy them winning five straight games, being five and one to start the season and scoring five goals per game. And I know we talked about this before we started recording, but to those people, are the Red Wings going to play at a five and one pace for the whole season? No. Could it keep up for a few more games? Maybe. But here's the thing, if they start the season 7-1, and 8-1, and one, and the Buffalo's below 500 right now, Ottawa's hovering around 500, if the Red Wings play mediocre hockey the rest of the year, but they have a big enough head start, that could be the recipe for a playoff spot. Yep. <laughs> These points in October matter exactly as much as they do in April. So if you create what is called a cushion, you can afford to blow some games uh, in the middle of the season that maybe you shouldn't and still get into the playoffs. These six games count the same as the six games in January, count the same as the six games at the end of the season. It all matters. Every point matters. And yeah, like you said, Brad, there's a cushion. The Red Wings have now allowed themselves to have a few bad bounces, have an off night. If they have an injury that hurts them, you know, it's not coming off of a lot losing streak beforehand. Like this is the stuff you can play the games you can play. You can get the points that you have. This is huge for Detroit. I would love to be at the end of the season and say, Hey, 
our preseason conversations where we had Detroit 6th or 7th in the division, and we said their offense could score more and be around league average or just above, but it's going to take a, a, a big effort. And playoffs are really, really not likely. I would love to say we were absolutely wrong on all three fronts. I am looking forward to the Red Wings media team clipping all of our preseason conversations into this just highlight reel of how absolutely wrong we were about the 2023-2024 Red Wings. And what they've done to start has made it so those people who are saying, hey, playoffs, 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 they are not crazy to hope for that at all. To be fair, we had them ranked higher than literally everybody else. Oh God, it was universally seventh. You, what you what you had said earlier in this episode and before we recorded that even those who are the most down on the Red Wings are and the most want to skip over them. This is a national storyline right now. DeBrinket's homecoming to Detroit is a national storyline. Dylan Larkin finding a new level is a national storyline. And this is burying so much. Like Shane Goss's bear playing fantastic hockey for Detroit where people are already like, are they going to uh, extend him? Vili Huso had himself a fantastic game on Saturday, and I didn't even mention that. Like, So many different parts of this team are clicking. Well, this is the biggest storyline in the NHL, whether people want to admit it or not, because there's basically four teams running away from the pack right now and a couple others who haven't played enough games to really get in the conversation. Colorado, Vegas, Boston, Detroit. Yep. Something here is not like the others. Yep. Anybody surprised that Colorado, Vegas, or Boston are off to rip-roaring, super-hot starts? Nope. Well, I bet against Boston at the start of the year, which I told myself I'd stop doing, and that's why they're off to a rip-roaring start, but yeah. I I had them in a playoff spot. I don't remember where, but yep, whatever. Nobody's surprised. Nobody had Detroit going 5-1. and And they didn't even, like, how many actually bad teams have the Red Wings played this year? Columbus, who are 3-2? and Mm-hmm. Tampa, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, Calgary, Ottawa. These are not basement dwellers that they've been beating up. So, yeah, it's a storyline. And like I said, I am super, super curious to see what the national narrative is over the next few days. You know, I don't remember the last time I saw, you know, we love Pete. I don't remember the last time I saw Pete Blackburn tweet about the Red Wings are yeah. just calling him a wagon now with a giant picture of Dylan Larkin's ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which all of us have saved on our phone from the from the pants commercial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The hockey butt commercial. Yeah. I'm surprised Crystal's never asked, but. <laughs> <laughs> Mel knew. <laughs> it's, we'll see how the rest of the month goes. And as we approach Winged Wheel podcasting at the LCA on November 4th, they have Seattle on Tuesday. and we'll Oh, be- my God. Wing Wheel Podcast Night is against the Bruins. That could legitimately be the game for first place. Could be. <laughs> it actually could be. They have Seattle on Tuesday. We'll be back with you next episode on Wednesday. But they are playing every other day. It's like Seattle, night off. Winnipeg, night off. Boston, night off. Islanders. And then they have uh, a few nights off before they they play Florida on November 2nd. So the calendar's full, and we'll see how they keep rolling here. And again, that's a hard pace to keep up what they've been doing, of course. But... I mean, first six games actually could not have asked for better. Even the loss against New Jersey, like you think about their one loss. It's not like they were god-awful the entire loss. They had a really good start to that game. New Jersey was just a much better team. We're watching what Jack Hughes is doing right now, and this might be his third in league scoring. Pedestrian. Yeah. They, not every team is fortunate enough to have the <laughs> scoring leader and the points leader, but I, I digress. But th- that's what the Red Wings have upcoming, where, of course, 
every successive episode that's more hyped than the last is that much more fun. So we'll see where this goes. Let's talk about some individual stories here. I'm really happy last episode we talked about Joe Valeno and how good he's looked. And maybe the offense hasn't been there, but he's doing the right things and you can notice him out on the ice because he is the offense came in the two games since last episode. So he made us look really good. Yeah. Joe Valeno, when he gets it, he gets it. So hopefully yeah. this is sustainable this time. We've, we've seen him have some hot streaks before. We know he can do this at the NHL level. Just please let this be the season where it's consistent. And it doesn't have to be at a level of 1.5 goals per game, of course, but just factoring in as scoring depth on the line with Perron and Sprong or whoever's there, that is, that's all that Detroit needs. So when they have three goals in a game, they can you know rely on their depth to get that fourth goal, which they'll often need in a high scoring NHL or if the goalie's not showing up or whatever it is. So credit to Joe Valeno has looked really, really good to start the year. Topping the East, I want to talk about the standings. Like you mentioned, Brad, they're up there with Boston. Boston has two games in hand, uh, eight points to Detroit's 10. So we'll see if they make those up. And well, like that, that team is, it's, it was stupid for me to ever say, oh, just because they lost two top centers, they're going to be bad. No, they're going to find a way to win, of course. And then Ottawa's in the third divisional seed behind them. This is way too early to be talking about this, by the way. It's just because the Red Wings are at the top why we're doing it. In the Metro, Philly, New York, and Columbus, and then two wild card spots, <laughs> Toronto and Carolina. Uh, Tampa's tied with Carolina at six points. So Detroit finds himself topping the conference, and we talked about it just a minute ago, but yeah, they are among the top four teams in the league, and they are the best in their conference through six games. We'll see what, what Boston does. Philly can't, you know, Philly has seven points in five games, so that mostly can get to nine. Detroit has been a top performer in the East to start the season, which... I mean, if you ask anyone to make an order for the Eastern Conference, no one would have put Philly and Detroit up there, which is funny. Feels like 1997 all over again. Good year. Great year. Yeah. But just a quick standings update for uh, for folks. Detroit's undefeated at home. Three games only, but that LCA advantage is huge right now. What was that stat the NHL posted? DeBrinkett's had multi-goal games in each of his first three home games. Uh, with his team, and that he's the first player to do that in over a hundred years. Huh. <laughs> I heard that's pretty good. There, I love like he's the first like, guy to do it with a forward pass allowed. <laughs> Alex DeBrinket became the fifth Michigan-born player in club history with a hat trick, uh, joining Jimmy Carson, Dylan Larkin, Justin Abdelkader, and Kevin Miller. Good company, especially Justin Abdelkader. There, everyone was expecting that, and then other. Like you said, the no place like home for DeBrinket NHL PR posted this. Alex DeBrinket became the second player in NHL history with three plus points in each of his first three home games with a franchise joining, as everyone knows, Harry Meeking in 1917-1918 season. Is that a meme account? Because that name is so close to being censored. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyways. Yeah, that was. Uh, those are the kinds of records that the Red Wings uh, players are setting to start the season. Their power play. It, obviously, this game going zero and five isn't great, but after the the Ottawa game being at fifty percent and now sitting at thirty nine point one, what has made their power play this effective? What did you see in the Ottawa game that made it click that well? How much of it is just Larkin? How much is it different movement, different kinds of firepower? And what kind of regression or changes can we expect over the course of the season? Because obviously 50% isn't sustainable and likely neither is 
the answer, the real true answer here is too obvious and too boring to talk about at length, but I'm still going to say it because it's the honest answer. Better players. The difference Gostaspare and Debrinket make on mm. that power play unit is substantial because not only are these two players who have all the natural offensive talent that we are all aware of, two of their biggest strengths is quick puck movement. They're always a step ahead. Again, I talked about it with what Gosses Bear did on the one Larkin power play goal. It's on and off his stick before Ottawa even reacts. Larkin is sitting in the slot with as much time as he needs. Debrinket is also really good at those plays. We know we saw in the preseason how many times he sent it cross crease to Larkin for a goal. When you have guys who can shoot like Gosses Bear and Debrinket on the flanks, but can also distribute the puck like those two can, it gives you a whole new depth and dimension to the power play. If we're going to talk strategy on the power play, what have they been doing different that I have noticed this year? There have been a lot more low to high plays. Mm-hmm. And I know Prashanth has been one of the guys like smashing the table for Detroit to run more of this over the years. But this has been a theme where when that puck is below the goal line, it's a set play. It's not down there just for a recovery. They're using it as a strategy. They're using it as an attack point. Make the goalie turn. Make the defense turn. You know, if they're looking at you behind the net, they might not see the guy creeping up in the slot behind him or what have you. So aside from the obvious answer, that seems to be a huge change in how they've been running the power play. And it's it's not low to high to always like a static guy in front. Like often you'll see Perron up there planting his skates using his frame to to push defenders out of the way, cause havoc, and he'll bang it home. Or he'll pick up the smart rebound. But like you said, Shane Goss is streaking in from the top. Like It's a lot of dynamic movement in every single direction. And it almost frustrated listeners for a long time when we were you know banging our fists on the table over the course of the years to say the Red Wings' power play looks static. It looks slow. It looks like they're stuck in mud. They're stuck on the perimeter. They're making stupid uh, attempts across seams that they're not opening up with their movement. And they're saying, well, you know, what's needed? You can point out the flaws, but what's the, the change? One, like you said, it's it's better players. You can't execute the things that we're talking about without better players. And two, it's it's that movement. It is the generating of space. You have to execute really well. And when I talk about Dylan Larkin being on another level this year, he is executing at an unreal level. Not just shooting, but passing especially. Tied for the, I didn't even mention, tied for the NHL lead in assists, as I think you noted earlier, actually, Brad, but... Yeah, the whole thing is just, and they, they maintain pressure. And it's not just the first unit either. The second unit oftentimes will maintain pressure and generate a lot of really strong chances. You now have enough talent to have two at least pretty decent units in the top one. I mean, with what DeBrinke and Larkin are doing especially, just absolutely, what a turnaround based on the power plays of old that we've seen for Detroit. On the other end of things, uh, Max Baltman was on Valley Sports Detroit today at intermission. He did a fantastic job, by the way. And he mentioned something that Derek Lalonde said, and Max actually put this in his article this morning as well. Uh, he mentioned that Derek Lalonde had had said uh, the Comfort Cop Rasmussen line had come to him after the Columbus Blue Jackets game to say, hey, we play Pittsburgh next. We want the Crosby line. Like they want to play as a shutdown line against Crosby, which first of all, baller move. Like that is just ice in your veins to ask for Sidney Crosby's line to shut him down. And secondly, hell yeah. Like it worked. That line is working for Detroit. 
the shutdown line is actually productive for Detroit in doing what on paper they're composed to do. This might get annoying for folks because we keep talking about the same things episode after episode, but the Red Wings keep doing the same things game after game. But again, the construction of that top line, which has been, I think, probably one of the best lines in hockey of Dabrinkit, Larkin, Raymond. Ryan, they have the two leading scorers in the NHL. You can say the best line in hockey so far. (laughs) I'm afraid someone from Vegas is going to fly in and stab me. The second part is that, like you said, and have like hammered the drum for all summer leading up to this, Brad, it has allowed you to put together that shutdown line, which is actually dangerous at both ends of the ice. Yeah, the, they haven't exactly blown up the score sheet, but they've contributed some timely goals, enough offense to keep the opposition on their toes. But as we've talked about, it doesn't matter. If they can go out there and shut down Crosby and Alex Debrinkit and Dylan Larkin are popping off for nine goals a game, who cares? You don't need the secondary offense. You're just keeping a lead at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, the offense is just a bonus, but yeah, the work they've been doing, 200 feet of the ice, has completely changed the dynamic of this team, especially when you factor in that Valeno and Sprong on the third line have also been providing offense. The fourth line has been completely irrelevant for most of this year, and it hasn't mattered because the first line is going bonkers. The third line scoring probably above average clip for an NHL third line. And you've got a second line that is taking some of the best players in the world and going, nah, not tonight. It's it's a hell of a formula and, you know, not the most sustainable formula in the world. No, but as we've alluded to, but it's all they can do and it's working exceptionally well for now. And you stay with it as long as you need to. We've talked about this before, but I really like the way Derek Lalonde handles lineup decisions for the Red Wings. Of course, no fan is going to agree with every single lineup decision. Some people love when he goes 11, 11 and 7, and some people don't like it. They say you should have brought put Berggren in right away or whatever, you know, smaller issue. But for example, on defense, yeah, Jeff Petrie was brought in and is a veteran guy. And obviously, like Steve Eisman really liked him. That's why he went and brought him in. Petrie's not been good to start the year, has had no hesitation to pull him out of the lineup on a rotational basis, which you might not have seen in the past. Lucas Raymond got a, didn't start with on that top line. It was Perron with Debrinkit and Larkin. Lucas Raymond factored in after Perron wasn't really performing the best. And Raymond immediately looked good and they've been glued together ever since. And even though Raymond hasn't been putting up points like the other two before today where he had three, he stayed there. That second line has stayed together. You know, Fabry is out for four weeks, which we haven't even mentioned yet, but it's not really jumbled things too much where all of the decisions that are being made lower down in the lineup, it's not moving the needle in the negative direction for Detroit because thankfully so far they've stayed relatively healthy where they've needed to. And Lalone has made these small but precise lineup adjustments that have helped the team and stuck to them. No coach who never makes a lineup change or constantly jumbles the lineup is going to win on any kind of you know sustainable basis. You you always need to tinker a little bit, but not too much. And I find I found that to start the season, he's found the right balance. It's uh it's weird because we're so used to the blender for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And the blender came out quick this year, but it worked and then the blender got chucked in the trash. So yep. it's uh yeah, it's it's a feel thing more than anything else, but Hey, no complaints here so far. Mentioned Robbie Fabry. 
it was thought that he would be out, you know, day to day or maybe a little bit once he he got hurt closer to the start of the season. Wasn't really factoring back into the lineup, and then it was announced that he would actually be out for four weeks. So that's unfortunate news. I mean, what else is there to say about Fabry? It's like you don't want to harp on the guy. He doesn't like getting hurt. No player likes getting hurt. No player does it intentionally, but it's just the story of his career, and it's so annoying because you know that he can factor in and provide even more scoring for Detroit. Right now, Red Wings fans aren't really thinking about it because Detroit has only scored, but... You know, if this was a different start to the season, it would it would sting especially more. So he's out for four weeks on IR. Uh, the Red Wings brought up Beargren. He didn't factor into the Ottawa game, but then they brought him in for this game. He didn't play too much though. So that's uh, that's the latest Red Wings injury update. Yeah, Beargren got thirteen and a half minutes. Actually, not bad. So okay, anything else from the Red Wings' two most recent games? Other than just overwhelming happiness yeah yeah not, not not much else to add there again we're really gonna have to learn how to bear with this like the occasional defensive breakdown Mo Sider has looked good not phenomenal to start the year I think he's still finding his stride <laughs> what negatives are you gonna find here yeah part of me over these last two episodes you know stops in the middle of the episode just to think damn we are obnoxious then I remember everybody at the other end of the speakers right now is feeling the exact same way we are. Yeah. So they're just, they're just like, yes, yeah. more. Yeah. When Brad walked in my door, like anytime the Red Wings are doing this, which isn't very often over the last decade, like we've been buzzing to start the season. Like it's so fun. It is fun for us. And we do try to measure it and temper it to make sure that folks are getting like a quality episode with like actual good analysis and breaking down the X's and O's and what have you. But don't get it twisted. We are just as excited about all of this, which is probably why I got so frustrated when people are like, oh, rah, 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 you have to be angry about everything all the time. It's like, oh, man, we're all here for like a, a universal like blip. And then we go just enjoy a Red Wings five game win streak, you know? I mean, Steve did kind of build an empire off of it. So maybe there's something to it. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone has been positive through the face of overwhelming cosmic irony levels of negativity, it's Steve Dangle. <laughs> He just shrieked his way through it, I should say. Not that far off what we did. <laughs> yeah, maybe not too far off. Okay, that's the Detroit Red Wings. Again, we didn't even cover half of what we could in terms of you know, the Red Wings who stepped up and, and performed individually. So we'll, hopefully the, the optimism still goes, but there's nothing that can be done to take away how fantastic the start to this season has been. Okay, Grand Rapids, a little bit of an update from there. You know, in a poor training camp and offseason, anytime we were able to see Sebastian Cosa, there was some concern coming into the year, and it has to be said to start the year in Grand Rapids. Like, small sample size in the offseason, small sample size to start the year, he has looked outstanding. Ken Daniels talked about it at the in the broadcast today for Valley Sports Detroit, but Sebastian Cosa has been noted to look very, very good with, with Grand Rapids, so... So far, they have a brand new goalie coach uh, over there. I believe it's pronounced Rope Koistinen, but nailed it. Thank you. You're better at the Finnish names than I am. Yep, and I will not be attempting. It. Thank you. <laughs> but good start and a great sign for the Red Wings that Sebastian Kosa has started really well so far, and that folks in the organization seem really, really uh, excited about him. Yeah. Again, everything uh, this episode is all about sample sizes, but at least now we know he can do it at that level. 
Yeah. Because his stints in Grand Rapids last year were not good. So it's all about progression. And, you know, Kose has a history of not being the most consistent goaltender on the planet, even when he's at his best. There's, you know, every fourth, fifth, sixth game, whatever it would Mm. be, the meltdowns were there. So the more we can get of this and, you know, I can live with every fifth, sixth game being pretty bad if this is the in-between. Absolutely. And update, actually, we have a name update. Ken was kind enough to let me know. William Valinder. So uh, Valinder prefers the V instead of the W. So it looks like it's pronounced William Valinder. So William Valinder, he scored his first AHL goal. And Marco Casper, actually. Oh, no, no, no. No. (laughs) We don't. You are not taking the same letters with different pronunciations. You are either William. (laughs) You are either William Melinder or you are William Melinder. You don't get to have it this way. This is not one of those Sean Bean BS. He can only be Scene Bean or Sean Bond. So, William, listen up. You are William Melinder or you are William Melinder. They are the same letters. They make the same sounds. Get it straight. So William Valinder. <laughs> no. And then, so Valinder scored his first goal and Marco Casper scored his first AHL goal. The Casper goal was very cool. Like showed off a really powerful uh, stride, just like glided across the top of the circles before scoring. That was a nice little display of his, you know, like how much force and power he can generate from down low with just a few strides. That was cool to see. Hope Much like Valeno, hopefully this becomes a consistent thing. Yeah, so... So that's uh, some positive news out of Grand Rapids. Uh, an additional bit of positive news, as Ken also reported today, Carter Mazer potentially back within the next week or two, which would be really, really great for not just the Griffins, but the Red Wings as well. Because, you know, you talk about future Red Wings, obviously Danielson's talked about a lot, Sandine Pelica, and in the AHL, Casper, Johansson, Edvinson, whoever else. But Mazer, you want to be in that mix. And before he was injured, we said he might be a guy to make some noise for the Red Wings roster out of camp. So the sooner he can get healthy, playing more pro reps and factoring into those future conversations, the better. Okay, let's take some news from across the NHL. Uh, let's look back at those standings. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights actually have set, I believe, an NHL record or they're you know, tied for an NHL record with the amount of wins they have to start a season after winning the Cup. They're 6-0 to start the season. So only with a very few who are hotter than the Red Wings, the Vegas Golden Knights. If I had to guess, which city would handle a Stanley Cup hangover the best? Did not think Vegas would be the best at handling hangovers. That's a been there, done that kind of thing. Like they just, they play there all the time. I feel like my logic is reversed on this one, that it's a place where it's practiced so often they've perfected it. That's exactly right. That's why other teams have the Vegas flu when they come to Vegas. Vegas plays all of their home games in Vegas, of course. They don't suffer the same fate. They've they've become immune. To quote the most recent season of Shorzy, playing guilty is a performance enhancer. <laughs> <laughs> I Again, Boston, 4-0. It's four games, of course, yeah, but that's a team that knows how to win. You shouldn't bet it really against a team with Pasternak, Marchand, the goaltending they have, McAvoy, et cetera, et cetera, but... How do you lose Bergeron and Krejci and still become an undeniable force in the East? That's just Boston, man. I hate everything about Boston so much, except for their PWHL team. Foolish. I'm forced to like them. Yes. Yeah, thanks to Lauren. So foolish to bet against Boston. 
players having a big year so far, Jack Hughes, I mean, the Red Wings were up close and personal in game one, but there are a lot of people saying Jack Hughes is going to be in the MVP race this year, and I don't think they're wrong to think that. He'd probably finish third right now. <laughs> yeah, behind, uh, I'm just guessing here, Debrinkit and Larkin. Yeah, good for him. Third place is no joke. Yeah, the, like in points, Debrinkit holds solo first with the 12, Larkin holds solo second with 11, and Hughes and Pedersen are tied at 10. Pedersen, of course. Wow, two Red Wings and a future Red Wing. <laughs> <laughs> and an almost Red Wing. Damn it. Nylander, I, of all guys who are going to have a career year, you know Nylander is going to pop off, right? Oh my God, I can't wait for Toronto to pay him $11 million a year after fans yelling they wouldn't pay him more than eight. Yeah. Speaking of top players, McDavid out, what is it, one to two weeks with an upper body injury? And with how Edmonton started the season, this could be their season. <laughs> that Edmonton does this a lot. Like they constantly just need to be rescued by an unholy winning streak a third of the way into the season before they write it off. But Edmonton has started the year terribly. One, three, and one, three points through five games. And now they have lost McDavid. And obviously losing the best player of a generation is unfortunate, no matter the duration of the injury. But you know, not to kick uh, a dead horse here or beat a dead horse, but Ken Holland has mismanaged Edmonton's cap situation so poorly they can only carry 18 forwards, 60, and two goalies because they do not have any cap space to call even a league minimum player up. So if they have one injury right now, they have to play the game short. I know there's a big banging of the drum for, oh, this is what the cap does to teams and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we have to have Alan Walsh on this show one day because he's very, very anti-salary cap as, you know, hockey agents are. It's their job to be. Yeah, of course he should be. But to me, I think you're right. Like 31 other teams have to manage this. Like that's a bad position to be in. This was not sprung upon anybody. The salary cap is equal to all teams. There is a reason why Tampa... And Chicago and whoever were able to wriggle their way out of jams every year because they understood the situation. They knew the parameters and they made their decisions accordingly. So when it happens to teams like and Edmonton's not the only one, uh, multiple teams have actually had to play shorthanded this year. Uh, I think Vegas is actually one of them, but they won a cup. So who cares? You knew the rules. That it is your fault when that happens. I mean, Ottawa can't even sign Shane Pinto. They're so up against it. And they can't even, you know, claim <laughs> any bragging rights right now. But I have no sympathy for the people who go, oh, this is the salary cap's fault. Nope. You know the rules. You work a nine to five job. If you show up at quarter after nine and your boss chews you out, are you going to say, it's nine to five? That's restrictive. Not, not how the real world works, unfortunately. <laughs> And in more NHL news, do you see that Rasmus Anderson hit on Patrick Laine? Yeah, it was brutal. Ended up, he, it was a late game hit to, to Laine's head. Anderson, you know, spin the wheel. I think the Department of Player Safety actually got this one right. He got a four-game suspension, which he is appealing, I believe, and it goes to Gary Bettman. But all in all, I think that's the right suspension. But that was an ugly, ugly hit. Yeah, headshots, I have no patience for them whatsoever. Oh, speaking of... Headshots. I'm going to go on a little tangent here because my one of my favorite storylines that's uh, emerging this year. How wonderful is it that most of the hockey world has already turned on Ryan Reeves? Oh yeah, 
Oh my it's god! So funny that he is now in the Toronto glare, and it is not. He, there was a stat. He played less than eight minutes in four straight games. Was on for a goal against in all of them. Got punked by Corey Perry, and then tried telling saying Corey Perry wasn't tough. Ryan Reeves is so bad at this NHL thing that I have to now defend Corey Perry. <laughs> Just wash your mouth out with soap after. Corey Perry scored the winning goal that game. Corey Perry has won an MVP trophy. Corey Perry has been one of the most notorious pests in the NHL for years. And Corey Perry had more fights than Ryan Reeves last year. And Ryan Reeves is going to call him not tough? Dude, he just clowned you the whole game. Uh, It's... And then what was it? I think Steve actually had a great rant uh, on his podcast. I saw one of the players on the Leafs, I don't recall which one, uh, got dumped from behind into the boards. Uh, really dirty hip. Mm-hmm. And what did Ryan Reeves do about it? Nothing. To which Adam brought up the point. Well, do you want him to take a two-minute instigator penalty and force the fight? To which the answer, and Steve so eloquently put, yes, it's his literal only job. A two-minute instigator penalty? Five games into the season to send a message to the rest of the league that our stars are not to be screwed with. And refs often will find a reason to not call the instigator. Exactly. If yeah. they think that it's like fair retribution based on what you just did, they'll yeah. they'll find a way to balance it out. Yeah. So, man, <laughs> what? If you ever wanted more proof that the Ryan Reeves role in the NHL is dead and useless and an active hindrance to your team here you go everything that has played out with him so far this year is your shining example i think there is a role for the kind of guy who will go in and punch someone else in the face when they run your best player but i think the nhl has shown time and time again that at the absolute worst that person has to be clean costin exactly the point i was going to make if you are a competent NHL player and you do not look out of place on an NHL fourth line, absolutely. Has anybody watched Ryan Reeves play hockey in the last three years? It's comical. He's so bad. But he is the undeniable best fighter in the league. Although, oh, I didn't even bring up when he uh, was uh, pissing and moaning that he got jumped by Arbor Jacki. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're Ryan Reeves. What do you think's going to happen to you on the ice? There's like, also like... 20 clips of him doing the exact same thing. I know. Like giving the exact same amount of time to drop the gloves. Dude, if you're going to self-proclaim yourself the heavyweight champ of the world, which, hey, don't get me wrong, Ryan Reeves is a strong dude and a hell of a fighter, you can't be a whiny bitch like he's been. You just can't. You're complaining about Arbor Jacki, who's in his, what, second year in the NHL? Yeah. You're complaining about Corey Perry, who's 100 pounds lighter and 50 years older than you. I know Ryan Reeves is pretty old, too. But, man, that is... Just watching it all implode on itself in Toronto of all places is just, oh, it's it's art. Kyle Dubas would never. No, he literally wouldn't because he has <laughs> he's interested in winning hockey games. Okay, well, it is funny to watch that happen in Toronto. I think the 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 running high of watching such successful Red Wings hockey has made these episodes feel weird for me. Like the pacing, I just don't really know how to to navigate it. But like 
that's what it's like with this unbridled optimism. So until the Red Wings give us any reason to change, you'll see me kind of flailing to try to guide the show. On that note, let's jump into- After 37 minutes of breaking down Alex DeBrinkett's shot, we shall now move on to the next topic. (laughs) Let's jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to support the show, you get entered into giveaways, especially for the two Red Wings home game uh, tickets for each Red Wings home game, the Discord, the Patreon exclusive bonus overtime episodes, and plenty more benefits. You allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, and you know every other initiative that we do to make the show bigger and better, including producing Expected by Whom, uh, the latest show in our Winged Wheel Podcast content universe, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. So patreon.com slash podcast if you want to take the extra mile and support the show. Ryan Gannon says, not sure if the barometer of Thanksgiving still holds weight related to the standings, but where do you think the Red Wings need to be by Turkey Day to be in a favorable spot for a playoff slot? That's a really great question, one that we haven't talked about yet. And I think we were doing this last year too, but I think the, the Thanksgiving benchmark is a good one statistically it holds up really really well i know there have been some funny years around covid but if they are still in a playoff spot around then then by all rights like who's to say that they're not likely to do it am i crazy well the stats are the stats and you know the stat the percentage isn't as high as people make it out to be but it's still high if they're within two to three points of a playoff spot which with this start it would take a pretty severe collapse to be that far out by that point to drop God, six, seven, eight points in a month. If they're in a playoff spot, I think they're in a really good spot. I think the more interesting thing would be how congested is it? Because I could see a reality where like seeds five through 11 are separated by only a few points. Yeah, if you're a playoff standings watcher, like especially early on, you're one of those sickos. Look out for Detroit's Atlantic Division rivals especially, but Eastern Conference games. And every time you see someone in and around Detroit or who you think will be in and around Detroit, they have a three-point game, so a game goes to an overtime or a shootout. That's bad. Like, you don't want that to happen because more points are being distributed. That system does drive me insane. I know the NHL won't get rid of it, but it should be a 3-2-1-0 system. Like, three points for a regulation win, two for an extra time win. I digress. Good thing Detroit beat Tampa, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Ottawa in regulation. Yes. Like, all of their, like, they aren't relying on shootout wins. I know there's going to be folks saying, well, they have a, and, unrepeatable or you can't bank on this happening all season run good. And that is true. Like I think the Red Wings deserve the wins that they have, but they're not, like you said earlier, Brad, they're not going to be winning at a clip of five and one over every six games for the rest of the year, of course. But as long as, like you just said, it's not the complete inverse, then the points are banked. Those five wins are in the bank. The 10 points are in the standings. You can't take them away. So it's cushion. It's what we were talking about earlier. If they're in a playoff spot this firmly, like, you know, first or second divisional seed in the Atlantic, I'm going to start singing a tune. I don't think I'd be crazy to say it. I think a lot of this hinges on some really good chemistry continuing. I think it hinges on, you know, knock on wood, continued health. But I don't think it's nice to talk about it. Udalali says, anyone else starting to want Goss's bear to be extended? Yes. I wanted him extended before, like when he was signed. I was like, oh, I want more than a year. He's great. Correct. 
I would imagine that was Goss's Bears doing this short-term contract. Oh, yeah, because uh, with the way he's been playing this year, if he can keep this up for most of the year, he's getting a raise. Or, yeah, well, he's getting a raise, and whether that's with Detroit or otherwise, we'll see. But, I mean, if Detroit, we talked about winning begets winning. It's not just attracting Alex Dabrinkit and other free agents to your team. It's players who are on expiring contracts who are just on your team a little bit as a journeyman. You convince them to stay, and you convince them to stay for less. If Shane Gostaspear is buzzing here and he gets, you know, the kind of raise at least somewhat like he deserves, then that's the kind of thing that brings success to your team. Okay, Jack's dad says, agree or disagree? The better Cat plays, the less likely it is that Kane gets signed. No. No, absolutely not. Kane, the connection to Kane with Detroit has been to break it. He wants to play with his buddy. The apprehension in the Kane to Detroit rumor is he going to want to was is he going to want to play for a tenth place team? Well, if the Red Wings aren't a tenth place team, they're a hypothetically fourth place team. I would say that makes it more likely. The question might be if the Red Wings keep this pace or they're sitting in second, third, fourth place in the East by the time he wants to sign. Are they going to want him? Are they going to pay good money to screw with their lineup that? would be working at that point. Uh, do you extend Goss's Bear ASAP? You can't until January 1st, but yes, you should try. Uh, Larkin, while playing fantastic, needs to stop whining at the refs and just play. I don't know. I, I don't mind it. That's just guys getting heated. I, I don't mind it at all. There's like a limit, and it really depends what you're saying. But yeah, but yeah no, I don't mind it. Debrinkit retires a Red Wing. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Number in the rafters. Uh, we're making a sign for Thursday's Star Wars night saying, Kyle, join us on the red side. We'll sway him to request a trade to Detroit. That's awesome. Obviously talking about Kyle Connor on the Winnipeg Jets. Lastly, Jack says hi. Hello, Jack. And thank you, Dad, for supporting the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, next one here from Sean Trainer <laughs> says, let's go. Time to shotgun a Verners in a pool of poutine while listening to Journey. The Red Wings are winning the cup for the next five years. I will hear no other arguments. Well, that's the kind of hard-hitting analysis you come to this show for. But no, Sean, the excitement is shared. Uh, says, in all seriousness, what a killer start to the season. Joey getting to Larkin's a top centerman in the division and Kachuk up bullied. The vibes are great. My question is regarding the lines. Can you please explain why and how 11 forwards works? I understand with 12 forwards, you call the centerman, uh, centerman's name and all three players jump on the ice. But what about with two players in a line? I've never played and I've never understood these small things. So you're right about the one thing. When you're running just four straight lines, you call the centerman's name. Larkin, you guys are going. You know, Cop, you guys are going. Valeno, you guys are going. When you run 11 and 7, this answer is as simple as you would think, you know, Occam's razor. If let's say in a hypothetical world, Charnik's not playing, you got uh, Fisher and Berggren uh, on the fourth line. The coach would go, cop, you're going with Johnny and fish. Like he'll yeah. just call the whole line. Like you are the three that are going, all right, JT, you're taking a spin with, you know, Johnny and fish or whatever it is. That That's, that's literally all it is. Yeah. They keep it simple for us defensemen. Yeah, <laughs> only two guys to worry about your pair, and whenever they're rotating seven guys, like that guy yeah. essentially knows he's not factoring in until yeah. he gets tapped, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. We had a we had a coach once who was way too aggressive with the smacking on the heads, and the more intense the game was, the more he would just like drill the back of your head, and it wasn't in a malicious way. He was just too amped up. And his son actually played on the team at one point, and so it was very very good defenseman. He went down. He went, Dad, 
stop. <laughs> he was like, we were in the room after. He was like, I was legitimately seeing stars after how hard he smacked my helmet. Anyways, the Jack Scientist uh, says, let's say our hot start cools off a bit, but we're still competing like this. How does that affect prospects coming up? Edvinson should still slot in, but Kosa is performing so far. Uh, and we have three goalies. Valeno is doing well, so probably no Casper or anyone. Are we stuck without prospects this year if this keeps up? The reality, uh, again, assuming health, uh, yeah, that's probably the reality. Because if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. And if Newsy is throwing out a winning lineup night after night, he will fight Iserman to the death to not change that lineup. Yeah, you just don't change it. The good news is for those who want to see prospects, it never, ever, 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 ever shakes out that way except for like a cup winning team, which if that's what Detroit ends up being at the end of the season, then by God, that is absolutely not a problem. But there will be injuries. Guys will cool off. Edvinson or someone will do well enough to kick down the door. Like you're going to see some, it's just the the degree. So if the question is, if they keep playing this well, are they going to force a change just to get the guys up? The answer is no. Brad's right. Like, you don't change a winning lineup. If the lineup wins, like, 2-1 in a really ugly game, or, like, sorry, like, maybe 5-4 in a really ugly game, and it was just a fluke and the other team's goalie, you know, shot the bed more than anything else, that's a different story. That kind of winning isn't sustainable, but the Red Wings are scoring five goals a game right now. Are they perfect all over the ice? No, of course not, but generally they're getting good goaltending. Generally the penalty kill has been good. Like, generally... Obviously, the power play has been great. Say for today was 0-5. They're not going to shake that up. Okay, there are plenty more comments. We are actually going to get to them for our Patreon exclusive overtime. We're going to wrap up this episode as it's getting late over here. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. We, If this seems a little bit disorganized and that we don't know what to do with our hands, this is our first time too. But thank you all for tuning in. And if you're a listener of old, hey, I said it last episode. Isn't this fun? <laughs> I'm glad you're experiencing this with us. Again, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on Saturday, November 4th. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or go to the link in the description of the episode to get your tickets. They are running out. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, especially our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, welcome back, brand new uh, name level supporter of the Winged Wheel podcast, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Brutanen and Aluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Kyrie Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D-Town, Westside, brand new name level supporter. Thank you so much for supporting the Dub Dub Club. Exquisitine Blue Blaze Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, more like to bring can, am I right, fellas? Haha, <laughs> who's with me? Never Go Full Kyle, RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube. That's what I appreciate about you. Woman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Baron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, 
Corey Prita, Darren Fick, DeBoss Snipshow, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland, baby. Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider. Now this looks like a job for cheese bags. Ophelia, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Folks, we'll talk to you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.